to, to, just to like lay a foundation maybe or to just establish a framework of thought, I, I, I want to start with, um, it's really not a question so much as a statement, and you could argue with me a thousand different answers to what, what is Christianity or what does it mean to be Christian, and um, there was a bunch more that kept popping into my head, but I could place every one of them that popped into my head in these three broad categories. So before we talk about what we're going to talk about, let's talk about being Christian for just a minute. So why is it that we would be Christian? What is Christianity about? Well, I'll give you three, and I, and I think these are probably three buckets you could get just about everything else into, but I wouldn't argue if somebody wanted to make a fourth or a fifth or a sixth, but, but these are three big ones. The first is, is becoming reconciled to God by way of the gospel through Jesus Christ. So Christianity in itself doesn't exist without somebody getting reconciled to God. So whoever the first person that got born again was, first actual Christian, Christianity doesn't exist without people getting born again, reconciled to God. All of humanity is separated from God eternally without the gospel and without Jesus Christ. So why Christianity? One is because that's how people get reconciled to God. The second one is to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus himself. So once they get born again, once they are reconciled to God, then this process starts that requires God and it requires the participation of the Christian to become like Jesus in character, in behavior, in thinking, in every way, from glory to glory, into the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the third one is to be fruitful under the purposes and the will of God. That, that once you become born again, the objective was to get you born again, but that wasn't the end goal of the objective. The objective then becomes that you become more and more like Jesus and that you bear fruit unto God and unto his kingdom. And one of the ones that popped into my head that I thought about, I was like, well, you know, our purpose is to glorify God. But it says when we're fruitful, we glorify God. So we are absolutely called to glorify God. I think that one can fit under to be fruitful to God and his purposes and his kingdom. Started this conversation last week, and, and, and it was out of uh, John chapter 8, and it talked about, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It, it, verses 31 and 32, Jesus speaking, he says, so Jesus was saying, well, John actually said, so Jesus was saying. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my di disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. He's speaking to these people that, that he, he called them collectively the Jews in this conversation. And... They were having a debate with Jesus. The, the key word, I mean, there's so much in those two verses that's key, but for, for our purposes last week and this week, talking about abiding, and then ultimately talking about fruitfulness, is the word continue. If you continue in my word, Jesus says, then these other things will happen. The Greek word behind continue is M-E-N-O. That's the transliteration or the translation, the English the Greek word behind the English word continue. That word, M-E-N-O, is also the word behind abide, abiding, abides. And, and that's kind of where we're going to dig deep today. It's interesting, um, in the Thursday morning Bible study, we're talking, uh, we're actually reading from Genesis. 
And I love Genesis. Genesis is great. It's easy to read because it's stories. It's got genealogies. That's not so easy to read. But basically it's history. Lots of history. Lots of history. But it's not a lot of like, do this, don't do that. You know, great revelatory kind of stuff. But that's what we've been doing. And um, from this conversation, I started last Sunday's conversation, I started looking up the word fruit. So I, I searched in my Bible for every New Testament instance of every form of fruit, like fruit, fruitful, fruitless, unfruitful, anywhere you'd find fruit in a word. And then I started reading all the scriptures, and wow, it was amazing. So I asked the Thursday morning people, can we take a little detour from Genesis, and can we take a look at this word study? And I, I, I think it was fruitful. <laughs> no pun intended, right? <laughs> right? I mean, it was, it, it, it's amazing that you know stuff, but God will want to highlight certain things, and, it, and it, it just brings you to a deeper place of understanding. And, and for me, one of the deeper places of confidence might be how tight the Word of God is, how it is exactly perfect, how all of a sudden he's showing you stuff here, and it's like, wow, well, these are just different words, but it's the same darn thing. And you can really, really know how to live your life, how to think, how to behave, because the Word of God, it's flawless. It's just awesome and perfect. Anyway, so Jesus is having this debate with these Jews. And he says, unless you continue or you abide in my Word, you can't be my disciples. But if you do, then you'll have this awareness, this knowledge of truth, and that truth could set you free. The Jews were arguing with Jesus because they thought they were good. They're like, we're good because we are Abraham's children. When you study fruit, fruitfulness, that kind of thing, it takes you right to the lie of being Abraham's children by blood that means nothing to you. So they think, we're good, it's okay, we don't even need to listen to you because we're Abraham's seed. He's like, no, you're not good. And by the way, you're not Abraham's seed. How did Jesus know this? He knew it by their fruit. They, they said that they wanted to kill him. He's like, Abraham loved me. If, if you were of Abraham, you'd love me. But you want to kill me, therefore you're not of Abraham. You're of your father, the devil. So Jesus could know exactly where they're at, not necessarily because of his divine attributes, because he laid those aside. He always was God. Hear me say that, right? Don't ever put on the Internet, Pat's a, a deity denier. I am not. He always was God, but he set aside that privilege but he had the Holy Spirit. So he could have known through the Holy Spirit. But he knew through the, which maybe he did, but, but he knew exactly by the way he teaches us we can know. You could tell a tree by its fruit. And he told them, he said, you are not of God because you want to kill me. Your fruit is indicative of who your daddy is. John six fifty three through 56. That was last week's review, but I want to make sure we tie that into this week. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides 
in me, meno, abides, remains, stays in me, and I in him. Is abiding an event, or is it a process, or is it many events, or is it a continuous event that never ends? Do I abide in God because I responded to the gospel? Answer, yes. Does Holy Spirit abide in me because I responded to the gospel? Yes. Is it done at that point? No. Despite the fact that God abides in me, and I abide in him in a legal sense because my sins are forgiven and my righteousness, his righteousness has been attributed to me, does not necessarily mean that I will ever be fruitful outside of abiding in the process sense. Where I'm going with this is the internet guys, and they're big names. They're people you really, really recognize, said that when you get born again, you are abiding. And that's the end of that conversation. God abides in you. That's true. You abide in God. We're part of Jesus' body. That's true. That's where they said it's done. That's the end of it. Don't You don't need to concern yourself with abiding beyond the fact that you're actually born again. Holy Spirit has come to dwell inside of you, and you dwell in Jesus. I think they're wrong. So then, do we eat Jesus' flesh and drink Jesus' blood once, and we're good, or is it a continuous dining? It's a continuous dining. Right. So that speaks to the process of abiding. We'll talk about that a little bit more maybe at the end. I, when I pray, I mean, it's funny how you, you, you know what you know, but you don't know why you know what you know. And for years, I've sat in that chair and I've said, Jesus, I eat your flesh and I drink your blood. Because if you read, you should. You should write that one down and go read that thing in its broader context. Because what happened was he's speaking to his disciples and they're like, eat his flesh and drink his blood. That's gross. You know, he's, he's too weird for us. And, and many of his disciples, they, they left him. It's like, I, you know, I'm not doing that. It's interesting. At the end it says, this is why it is written that no one can come to the Son unless they're drawn by the Father. There had to be some incremental understanding then you're going to walk up there and, and just take a hunk out of his tricep and choke that thing down. He said, what about you guys? He looks to his more intimate disciples, and they say, where else would we go? You're the only one who has the true words of life. But they didn't then cannibalize him, right? Because they understood he was speaking metaphorically. He was talking about something else. So when I sit in my prayer chair as, as little, you know, child in the faith, Pat Brady, and I'm like, Jesus, I'm eating your flesh and I'm drinking your blood. What I'm saying is when I open this book, and I take into myself your words, your teaching, your way of thinking, your worldview. When I pray and I ask you, God, show me, please, what it is that you want from me. How it is that, that I'm, I'm, there's ways that I'm eating the flesh and the blood of, of something else that's not you. Lord, help me please to understand I'm dining on his flesh and I'm dining on his blood. That's what I think he's saying there, Right? This will seem weird to today's conversation, but how many of you are familiar with the 
the debate about once saved, always saved. I mean, yeah, okay. So if you're not, there's one stream of Christianity that says if you prayed the prayer, you're good. God's grace did it anyway. You had nothing to do with it. And he's going to take care of you, come heck or high water, till the day he brings you home. There's another stream of Christianity. I swim in this stream that says that you got saved because you expressed faith. You didn't get saved because you were righteous. You didn't get saved because of your good works. You didn't get saved for any reason other than you expressed faith. The gospel showed you the truth. You responded in a proper manner, faith, and you got saved, faith. <laughs> and, and the only way that you can't not stay saved is if you deny faith, if you choose not to have saving faith anymore. But if you believe that once saved, always saved, can't get unsaved is true, what you'll find is you read commentaries or you look on the Internet and ask a question, you'll see that there are certain foundational doctrines that color every other doctrine in a person's understanding of God. And that's why when I said all these big-name guys, I'm like, it's this one, it's this one, it's this one, it's this one. Huh they all swim in the same stream. So they can't agree that abiding means anything more than you got saved because then their foundational thing of once saved, always saved doesn't work anymore. So they have to come to an understanding, wrestle out everything else because this thing they refuse to budge on and everything else they have to see through that lens. So I'm not trying to be haughty when I say I'm right and they're wrong. I think they're right in the, in the legal sense, but I think they're wrong in the continuing sense. But then what I told you earlier happened to me. I had this thought, well, they say this, I say that, look some more. And all of a sudden, I could understand why they thought what they thought. And I understood why I thought what I thought. But I couldn't stand up here if you wanted to challenge what I thought and defend it, other than it's what I think. I used that same darn thing on a young man, I don't know, a month or so ago. It's, he's like, I know what I know. I just don't know why I know what I know. I said, well, then you should keep your mouth shut <laughs> because you know what you know because you heard somebody else tell you. But you never challenged anything. You, you didn't abide in the word of God such that when somebody challenges you, when you're sharing the gospel with somebody and, and they say, what about this? You aren't prepared with an apologia, with an ability to defend your hope you have in Jesus Christ. And that's true for all of us. And I'm telling you, it's as true for me because God makes sure before I preach that I hear that little voice of that person who's never challenged me once in the actual, but challenged me every time I'm ready to make a statement that I can't defend. So I'm going to take a minute and defend it a little bit for you. Because I think you probably all agree. All your responses are like, no, abiding is a continuous remaining, right? We're all going to abide in this room right here until we leave. And then we won't be abiding in here. We'll be abiding somewhere else. Okay, so remember from John chapter 8, you'll know the truth, that, that little course of Scripture. If my word abides in you, then you can have these other things. So I'm going to tell you, and you can decide whether you agree with me or not, 
that that's a continual abiding, that you can expect to know the truth and you can expect that truth will make you free as long as you abide in his word. But guess what? There's somebody who wants you not to abide in his word. And that somebody can get in your head because God lets them. And that somebody can get into somebody else's mouth because he got into their head and now he's coming out their mouth and he's trying to tell you this is a person, a false prophet, a false teacher, somebody who has an opinion but doesn't have knowledge to try to get you not to. But if you abide, if you continuously abide in what God says, then you're going to know the truth, then that truth will set you free because you'll abide in the truth, not in what somebody else says but what Jesus says. I'm pointing again. Forgive me. I'm trying not to point at anybody. Steve, I'm pointing at you. So when Jesus provides his word, is the word he's referencing in John chapter 8, the the big word, repent and believe? Because if you abide in that word one time, you're saved? I don't think so, because believe, pisteo, faith, pisteo, same Greek word, is dead without works. Do the works bring life to the faith? They do not. But true saving faith changes a person such that fruit or works will emanate from their self. So it's true, repent and believe is an event that must happen to get you started on that path. Remember one, two, three? Get saved, be born again, be reconciled to God, then become like Jesus, then, you know, parallel process. You, you produce good fruit for God and his kingdom that glorifies the Father in heaven. It can't be just repent and believe. The Great Commission, Jesus says... In Matthew, he says, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go into all the nations. Preach the, Well, Matthew doesn't say preach the gospel, but Mark does. Preach the gospel to all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all that I command you. And lo, I will be with you to the end of the age. I think that's all of it. I don't have that one written down. Here's the point. People are going to churches because they like the message. Forgive me if you're a Passion Bible person, but you read the Passion Bible because you like the way it talks. But it's a bad Bible. It's a bad translation. It is. I mean, I don't know Greek and I don't know Hebrew, but the people that do, nobody affirms that as a good translation. But you you go there because you like, you read it because you like how it makes you feel. Right? You go to churches because the messages are uplifting. And all that kind of stuff. And that's cool. I mean, you know, I'd like to have an uplifting message someday. But but, it's, <laughs> but at the end of the day, what did Jesus tell us to do? Oh, make disciples. I didn't include that one. Right? Go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all that I've commanded you, and lo, I will be with you always. He, he didn't tell us to preach uplifting messages. He told us to teach disciples to obey his commands. And that's, that's what he said. If that's not uplifting, then sorry. You can find lots of places that will tell you what you want to hear. And, and, and the Bible will teach you what those folks are about. They're about themselves. They're not about God. So when you get this, you think about it. You go read your Bible. You look at what Paul did. You look at what John did. You look what James did. They did what he told them to do. Do these things. Don't do these things. If you do these things, you can be pretty sure you belong to God. If you do these things, you can be pretty sure that you don't. Because discipleship is tough. Because you're fighting the devil and you're fighting the world and you're fighting your own dang flesh. 
as you do it. And we need to be constantly stirred to love and to good deeds because we're forever having to swim against the current of the world. Amen. Okay. Obey all that he commands. In, in his, his emphatic command, you all know what it is. I'll read it. I'll read it from John chapter 15. I'm going to read you verse 12, 13, and 17. This is his command. How do I know? Because Jesus says this. This is my commandment, that you love one another. But he qualifies it. Just as I have loved you, then he expands on the qualification. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. I command you, this I command you, that you love one another. So, I'm going to do what Jesus told me to do. Ready? Love everybody like Jesus loved you. Done. (laughs) Not done. Love is the example I want you to think about for just a minute, though. Is, Is love an event or is love ongoing? Right. Is it an event? It is. It can be, right? We, we watched, what was that guy's name? Andrew. Andrew. We watched Andrew in, in a minute, in a, in a minute, nine minutes. We watched him love Jesus, and we watched him love that lady, and we watched him love that little baby. And then that lady's gone. She's moved out of, as life goes by, she's moved out of his window and she's moved into the window of the people who are going to make sure she has diapers, that she has the prenatal care that she needs, and that all of her fears that the world's trying to put on her about having that baby, they're going to help her with, right? It's it's an event in that sense, but it's an ongoing thing. Is, Is love, these are all trick questions, you don't even have to answer them, but is love an emotion or is it a decision? It is both. It, it can be like, like I didn't decide to love Teresa, right? I saw her through beer goggles, if I'm honest with you guys. And she was so pretty. And the football player, <laughs> the football player was going to go ask her to dance because I was too chicken. And I got brave as soon as he took his first step. No, I saw her first. <laughs> You can know that I had on beer goggles, not because of how she looks, but <clears throat> that's the only thing could get me to ever dance. <laughs> but she could have been Broomhilda or somebody. I wouldn't have loved her if she was a nasty, ucky person, but she wasn't. And, and her person tickled my emotions to a certain kind of love, right? Yeah, got me to dance. <laughs> then I find out she's on the college dance team. I'm thinking, man, am I out of my league. You ever seen uh, Seinfeld where Elaine dances? <laughs> She's about this much higher than me. Okay, I think I just had another Dory trail. The point is, it can be emotional. And, and, and emotion in love, good emotion, can be useful to continuing love. But love is a continuing thing. And love is a decision. What did Jesus say in John fifteen twelve? This is my commandment, that you love one another. If it wasn't something that could be decided, it wouldn't be, couldn't be something that could be commanded. Right? You cannot command emotions. But you can command decisions. So, so when that guy, Andrew, was laying in bed that morning, and he's like, you know what? I go to the abortion clinic every single day. I'm taking the day off. 
He didn't want to go. I mean, maybe he did. Maybe he wants to go every day. You know, maybe I'm a better example. <laughs> I'm a really good example. The point is, he made the decision to go. It wasn't emotion that pulled him out of bed. It wasn't emotion that got him down there. It wasn't emotion that put him in a place where he was going to say what might come back as curse words and anger and every kind of vile thing. It was a choice. He decided. Jesus said, I command you to love. And not just your kind of love, my kind of love. The love that says you consider others more highly than you consider yourself. The love that's sacrificial, even unto death, kind of love. So when you're, when you're struggling with like a hard time between a husband, I'm trying, I'm not looking, my eyes are closed. I might turn my head, but I tell you, I see nothing. You might be in a place as a wife where you're struggling with your husband or a husband, and you're struggling with your wife, but you made a decision that goes through the end of your natural life. So you choose to love. And then what you do is you go back to that book that you have. Hopefully you don't have to dust it off, and you start reading because it's going to tell you what's required of you to love. And all you can do is be at peace with your husband or your wife or your neighbor or anybody else as much as depends on you. But you choose to do what God said to do. First, because you love Jesus, and he says, if you love me, you'll obey me. And second, because you made a decision to love that person. And now you're walking it out. Okay, now I'm going to open my eyes. If you happen to be in front of them, it's just by accident. Okay, good. All right. So if his primary command is to love, and love then, in this context at least, has to be a decision and not an emotion, because you can't command emotion, and love isn't a thing that starts and then you just do with it what you want later, we would always have to abide in love, then the abiding that he talks about may very well be about the thing that happened when you professed faith, like those internet guys said, but it absolutely continues and is expected to continue. Amen? Amen. Okay, I think I made a good case. If, if I was, like, you know, trying to get the Supreme Court to not make me wear a mask, I think I would have succeeded on that one. Let me give you a couple more scriptures. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If, if, biggest two-letter word in the Bible, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. Abide, abide, abide. Three times. If is the, is the, I can't think of the word I want to say. It's what enables the thing after it. If. If you do this, then you get to have that, right? So, if you're going to have the, the other side, the far side of the if, it only matters because you have the front side of the if. And the if there, talk, the pre-if talked about that you continue to abide in that which you made your decision at the beginning, right? Man, you know, if you weren't confused, I'm pretty sure you are now. I'll just read the scripture. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. 
If what you heard from the beginning abides or continues in you, you also will abide or continue in the Son and in the Father. Okay, I'm just going to move on. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. There's a context for this, but there's a point. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. See Andrew in every other video, probably. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue. Again, the Greek word meno, continue, abide. Continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So when you, when you come to a fork in the road and you're not sure where to go, where you go is to the word of God. Because it is equipping us. It is showing us which way is the right way. Every single time. I'm going to skip the next one. It was a good one though. I'm just not positive I can defend it the way I was going to preach it. And I'm going to let it go. Okay. Now let's start the transition. We'll continue this next week. The transition from... An important and important aspect of abiding. It's not all that abiding is about, but an important why of abiding is fruitfulness. So let's look at John chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. If this doesn't get you, you don't need to come next week. But you should come next week before 10 o'clock. Say amen to that. Amen. Good job. Okay, John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Jesus speaking, I am the true vine. He's making us a picture here. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Now there's a distinction that I'm going to make later that I want you to see the beginning of right here. The, The distinction is... God prunes fruit-bearing branches. Okay, so, so if we're looking at the picture, there's a, there's a vine. The vine is Jesus. The branches are his body, the people, us, of Jesus. The grapes on the vine are the fruit. The fruit does not come from the vine. The fruit comes from the branches. So you could pick an apple tree. You could say there's a trunk. That's Jesus. There are branches... That's us. There's apples. That's the fruit that you expect from an apple tree. That's a picture of us in the kingdom. Now, the objective is to get as many apples out of that tree as you possibly can, as many grapes out of that vine as you possibly can. So the father then helps the son by coming to Pat Brady, who's in the vine, attached to Jesus, And producing fruit in some areas, but not producing fruit in other areas of his life. 
So he gets to in, gets to participate in this process called pruning. Now, if if I had like this hand and it had lots of good fruit to produce, except for that finger right there, wasn't really it just wasn't participating. I don't think I would enjoy the pruning part so much, right? But that's got to come off because it's either going to produce fruit or it's going to go. So when you see uh, if there's no chastening, then you're, you're bastard children because you're not really God's children because he chastens, he disciplines those that he loves. Maybe that's akin to this pruning that he does. That when, when there are parts of our lives that are not producing fruit for the kingdom, fruit for God, then praise God that he comes and he works with us to get those things off because they might be consuming energy or time that's not actually directed towards his kingdom, Right? Okay. He prunes us for a purpose, that purpose being that we would bear more fruit. Goes on in verse 3, speaking to his disciples again, Jesus, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, Mano, abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine just in case we forgot from two verses ago. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I talked about John 15 years and years ago at church. Um, I was telling Teresa about it before that Sunday. And Teresa's a biology major and a chemistry minor. Nerd. Just joking. She was in the bathroom. I had to hurry up because I saw the door opening. She said, well, that's exactly reflected in nature, which I didn't understand this. If, if you have an orange tree or an apple tree, let's say, and you want apples to come off or apples are going to come off, fruit is going to come off that branch, the only way that the nourishment happens at the point where the fruit must be produced is if the branch draws from the vine. The vine doesn't push. It's like you don't have this, okay, Lord, Pop me out some fruit. <laughs> you have to draw. Oh, I thought I was looking kind of cool right there. Not till I get that. That's another one. So you and I need to understand that if we're going to be fruitful, it's going to be because we abide in him. And if we abide in him, then what he has will abide in us. But if there's no pulling against the vine... There's no grapes coming off your branch. It, it requires us to draw on Jesus in order for us to produce his fruit. Outside of abiding in Jesus, you cannot be fruitful. I cannot be fruitful. And even sometimes you can abide in Jesus and, and miss it and produce bad fruit, right? I told you about that last week, the lady, you know, and I wanted to break her teeth with my hand. And, and then the Lord showed me. It's like, whoa, what spirit are you of? Because I was abiding somewhere other than in the Lord Jesus. I was abiding in my flesh. And I was abiding in that icky voice that doesn't want me to produce good fruit. But because I have abided in Jesus, I was quick to recognize it and quick to repent. Verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire, 
and they are burned. If anyone does not abide in me, Jesus says this, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you, if you want to see the tightness of the scriptures, read that verse, and then go read the parable of the wheat and the tares. See what happens to the ones that are tares, that aren't truly abiding in Jesus. They get gathered up and thrown into the fire. Read, take, do, do the word study on fruit, fruitful, unfruitful, fruitless, and see what happens. Fire, 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 fire. <laughs> anyway, that wasn't a spoiler alert. You should still do the word study. So remember I said earlier there's a distinction. Branches that produce fruit, God prunes them. Why? Because they're good branches. They just need a little work. He prunes them so they produce more fruit. But if you don't produce fruit, that's a different. There's a distinction between a producing branch and a non-producing. He doesn't fuss with a non-producing branch. What's he do with it? He cuts it off. Now, somebody's going to tell you, well, that branch was never really part of Jesus anyway. I'm like, well, I don't know how you get that from the picture he's painting here. Any branch in me cuts it off, throws it in the fire. There's a long-term implication to me of what that's saying. My point is that we, we must abide in Jesus. Therefore, we will produce fruit. We need to understand that we're going to get pruned. But if we are unfruitful, man, that's a scary thing. Read the parable of the talents. Read the parable of the minas. Read the parable of the seed in the soil. Fruitful, unfruitful. Fruitful, unfruitful. Fruitful, unfruitful. Weeping and gnashing of teeth, glory. Only abiding branches are fruitful. Non-abiding slash fruitful, not fruitful branches, are not pruned but cut off, removed from the vine. That's Jesus. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. It's interesting. I mean, I'm seeing the picture. Here's a branch that's abiding in Jesus. But his word is not abiding in them. Because if it did, what would happen? They'd produce fruit. If you abide in me, first condition, and my words abide in you, second condition, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you if you keep, remember, this is Jesus, not Pat speaking. If you, or any pastor speaking, or any internet guy speaking. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. So how would somebody know whether you were a disciple of Jesus? There's two big ones that I'm aware of. One is fruitfulness. That's exactly right. If you don't produce fruit, there is no evidence that you're a disciple of Jesus. The other is your love for one another. Your love for one another, which almost by definition is fruit, and your fruitfulness unto the things of God is how a person can know, and even better, how you can know that you're a disciple. Second point, fruit-bearing glorifies God. 
God was glorified in that video today. Big time. Big time. You guys wanted to clap when you were done seeing it. You can't not because you've been exposed to the glory of God through the fruitfulness of a saint, of a branch. Obedience is necessary to abiding. Disobedience, by definition, is not abiding. Remember from 1 John, no, it was it Hebrews? From Hebrews, when we talked about the scripture that I, I tripped over the Greek word behind obedience, or in this case it was disobedience. Do you remember what that word was? Apathy. Apathy doesn't produce fruit. Apathy, I'm thinking, watches the Lions game today, which is just going to produce bad fruit all by itself, but... <laughs> yeah, right. Well, you know, if I if I thought I wanted to be a fake prophet and have anybody believe me, that'd be a good place to start. <laughs> the thing that's really interesting here is that if we are obedient, we'll abide in Jesus' love. What, what's the opposite of that mean? We don't like to think about Jesus as not loving us in some sense, but in some sense he's not. But it was no different from him. He was able to abide, he abode, if that's a right word, in his Father's love because of his obedience. Same for him, same for us. Okay, so let me just wrap up with this, and I'm going to read you, because I really felt like the Lord was giving me this bullet by bullet. Is abiding accomplished by coming to faith alone, or is abiding, am I still coming out the thing? Or is abiding a decision and process that starts with coming to faith? Well, it starts with coming to faith, but it's a, it's a process. Abiding, biblical, New Testament, probably Old Testament, abiding is a continuous thing. You would never purpose to not abide. It's active. It's a second after a second after a second. It's really a continuous series of choices like walking a road with fork after fork, each demanding a decision of which way to choose. If you don't see it, let me tell you, that's what life is. Life in the kingdom is. It's one step. It's like not even putting your foot down without having to decide, did you step right or did you step wrong? Every part of life is a decision. Somebody honks at you, you have a decision to make. You watch a video and a lady's being horribly evil towards somebody, you have a decision to make. How are you going to respond? How are you going to react? Are you going to have a kingdom mindset or are you going to have a worldly mindset? Is your wisdom going to be heavenly, peaceable from above, or is it going to be earthly and demonic? It's like walking that way, step by step, choice by choice, choosing always Jesus' way. God's word is a light unto our path. It illuminates the correct choice at every fork. That's scripture. It's like a map. How can you choose which way to go if you don't have a map? How would you know? Where do I go? I'm going to go to some place and have lunch. How are you going to get there? Well, I'm going to walk. That's cool. Where are you going to walk? There. Okay. Where are you going to put your feet? I don't know. I'm just going to walk and hope I get there. You come and stumble over me and Byron someplace. And how was your lunch? It's like, I don't know. I haven't gotten there yet. 
thought you were going to Fenton. I am. <laughs> no, you're not. You need a map. There's other influences on the road that oppose the way that is Jesus. The enemy of our flesh, or excuse me, enemy of our souls and our flesh is an influence trying to get us to go a different way than the way Jesus would have, have us to go. Without the light of God's word, fleshly desires and the deceitfulness of the devil will lead us away from Jesus. So I won't do the demonstration, but literally, here's life in the spirit. Here's life in the kingdom. Keith, listen to me for just a minute. <laughs> Baby's got to quit being so cute. I'm probably preaching to the choir with you, but the point is, here I stand, and I don't know which way to go, because I have to make a decision, and I don't know what that decision should be. What do I do? First, I stand still, right? This is a problem I have in life, because I'm like a ready, shoot, aim kind of guy. I'm Stevie Wonder in a duck hunt. Every once in a while, every once in a while, I hear a duck fall. But it's just by accident, right? I happen to make the right choice. Here's what we should do. Sometimes it's easy. Oh, that's an easy choice. Oh, that's an easy choice. Oh, this is Jesus' way. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. Not that hard. But sometimes it is hard. Sometimes it's subtle because the deceitfulness of the devil is subtle. He's good at what he does. So I stand still. Lord, I don't know. My buddy Ron, Christian guy before I was a Christian. Well, I'm a baby Christian now. We're at dinner with my boss. Where I think we we're in Chicago, having a nice dinner with HP's money. And everybody's having a drink. I'm having a drink. Ron's not having a drink. I'm afraid to drink my drink because Ron knows the Lord. Like, Lord, am I allowed to have a drink? Yeah, I think you could have a drink. Won't be make Jesus mad at me? No, I don't think so. You don't have a drink. <laughs> He's like, no, I don't have a drink. I said, well, how come you don't have a drink? Don't you like you know, a beer? He's like, no, no, I love a beer. I said, how come you don't have a beer? He said, here's the way I look at it, Pat. I'm standing on a plateau, and it's so foggy, I can't see my finger in front of my nose. If I drink a beer, I know there's a cliff edge someplace. I just don't know where it is. If I drink a beer, I know I'm taking a step closer to that cliff, but I don't know where the cliff is, so I don't take a step in any direction like that. I just choose not to, so I'm never going to go off the cliff because I chose a beer. I'm like, that was wisdom right there. Yep. I choose not to take the chance. Right? So here we are, and we don't know what to do. So we get that book, and we open it up, and we start looking. Because the answer is in there. And pretty soon, the answer comes, and the light shines over here. Because the word, the word of God is a light unto our path. And we see the light, and we're like, oh, okay, now I know. Until I get to the next one. Until I get to the next one. Until I get to the tough one. Most of these ones that I don't need to go look at the book is because I've already looked at the book. And I know what the Word of God says. Without the light of God's Word, fleshly desires and the deceitfulness of the devil will lead us away from Jesus. So then what's the process of abiding? What does it look like? Here's just, here's just my thoughts. First, the continuous dining, eating of his flesh, and drinking of his blood. That doesn't mean take communion, right? You should take communion. It's good. When you're in a worthy place, you should take communion. But that's not what that's talking about. 
That's eating his flesh and drinking his blood. That's opening that book and reading every word. That's, that's thanking the Holy Spirit that he is going to remind you of all the things that Jesus said. But you're not going to hear him if you never spend any time and learned how it is that he talks. So it's you sitting in your prayer closet. I remember Teresa, you see sometimes when she's really wrestling, she literally goes in the closet and closes the door. And she don't come out until she knows which way the light's pointing. But you live in your prayer closet so that when that voice is speaking to you, illuminating the word of God that's already in you through your study and your, your concern for eating his flesh and his drinking his blood, you know where to go. It's abiding in his word. It's praying without ceasing. It's developing intimacy with his spirit until the day he brings us home. Abiding is important. It's important for a lot of reasons. But it's really important because without abiding in Jesus, we can't produce fruit. And everything that's unfruitful doesn't get to stay with Jesus. So then next week, we'll talk more um, about the importance or the necessity. And it's not like God's not graceful. I'll show you a great parable where there's a there's a there's a tree that doesn't produce fruit, and and the guy that owns the the tree farm comes in and he's like, no fruit on that tree again, and they're like, nope, no no fruit on that tree. He's like, cut it down, and the person's like, well, you know, maybe just let me work it a little bit more, maybe we'll get some fruit out of it if you'll just let me work it a little bit more. So God's graceful, but at the end of the day, if you choose to be an unfruitful branch. It's not a good situation. And we'll talk more about that next week from the uh, fruit, star, fruit, star, if you know anything about wild card conversation. Amen.